This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Here you go. Here you go. Stomped. Nothing personal word of the day. It's Tuesday, April 18th, 2023. Good morning. We're live. 8 a.m. every day on YouTube. Nothing personal with David Sampson. Welcome. Were you up as late as I was? I'm up that late every night, but watching basketball, Draymond Green, Kings, Warriors. I'm trying to remember the last playoff series that felt this compelling. And this is when my favorite word, recency bias, comes into play because I can't remember any series that have been this compelling except like in the 90s. In the 80s. So let's pretend that the Sacramento Kings against the Golden State Warriors is must-see basketball. The games are being played in Sacramento, games one and two. All season long, Sacramento's been one of the best teams in the league. If you've never watched them play, start watching them play. They are built finally, first time in 16 years in the playoffs. Basically, it disappeared. People forget. Do you remember Coca Kevin Johnson? Kevin Johnson was the mayor of Sacramento and the former all-star point guard for the Phoenix Suns. And he was instrumental in getting a new arena built in Sacramento. That same arena that shows the beam, like that beam, like Star Trek after a win. The Kings were dead in the water. They got a new arena. They got base basketball people who knew what they were doing. And all of a sudden the team is built and the overnight sensation like in acting, oh my God, you've never been in anything and you're nominated for an Oscar. I've been in 25 things over 30 years. Yeah, I'm an overnight success, success story. No, I'm not. You just heard of me. Draymond Green of the Warriors, the team, the Goliath, the dynasty, the reigning NBA champions. Did it right, Coca? The team that is trying to repeat and win yet another ring. Curry trying to get into Jordan territory, not Bill Russell, into Jordan territory. Warriors on the road, game one. The action was furious. The Kings win. We head into game two. It was going to be a pick of the day. The line moved in a way that I did not. I was going to take the Warriors plus one. The line moved to Warriors minus two and a half. Didn't know why. Didn't take the game. And it happened live on the show yesterday where I changed my mind. So I'm watching the game. And it is not as good a game as game one. There was plenty of pace, but it was sloppy. More, just much more sloppy. But the crowd, so loud and 
De'Aaron Fox is so good, and Sabonis is so good, and Monk is so good, and what Curry's doing, everything's going on. It's back and forth. The Kings have a big lead. The Warriors are trying to get back into it. All of a sudden, I'm looking at the game, and it looks like there's something going on with Draymond Green and Sabonis. And you can't really tell because the camera is following the ball up court, and this is happening in the backcourt. The game stops, and then all of a sudden, we've got video of it here. I don't know if it's a picture. It's pictures, not live video. Well, it's not live video. Look at that. All right, Draymond Green stomped, word of the day, on Sabonis. Here's what actually happened. They got tangled. Sabonis was on the ground. Sabonis on the ground. Green gets tangled. Sabonis grabs Green's ankle, therefore not allowing Green to get up the court. That would be offensive holding in the NFL or defensive holding, automatic first down. Green breaks free with his foot. And then instead of stepping over Sabonis, who's on the ground, he steps on him. He steps on him so demonstrably that he crushes his chest and then does some sort of crazy two-point stance jump and then goes up the court, whistle, stoppage of play, go to the videotape, and the result was a personal foul on Sabonis for grabbing, a technical foul on Sabonis for unreasonable contact, and a flagrant two, not one, a flagrant two on green, which means automatic ejection. So it all gets sorted out. Green, while it's being sorted out, is at the bench where Steve Kerr's trying to get the team back in the game, and he is going at it with fans. He is calling for them to keep yelling at him. He's raising his arms as though he's reveling and then screaming at them. Don't know whether he swore. He certainly didn't go in the stands and punch anybody. We're gonna get back in a minute why that's important. But he certainly was taunting fans. He was encouraging fans to misbehave. He then gets ejected and runs off the court the way that football player ran off the field his last day and I really wanted to get the name right for this segment, and I didn't discuss with Coca that that's where my brain was gonna go. Antonio Brown, Coca, way to go. Runs off the court as though he's retiring. And then the conversation started. The Kings go on and win the game and take a commanding two nothing lead. Don't forget Pat Riley. An NBA playoff series does not start until someone loses at home. So this series has not yet started. The games will be going back to the Bay for games three and four as Golden State tries to hold serve. But what do you do with Draymond Green? Let me give you the rules very quickly and then let me tell you what's gonna happen. The rules are pretty simple. When you get a flagrant two, you get two points. It's not like a field goal. It's not a good two points, it's two points. A flagrant one is one point, great. But once you've got two points, which means you've had two flagrant ones or one flagrant two, once you have two points and you commit another flagrant two, not only does a flagrant two get you ejected from that game where you've done the second flagrant two, but you are automatically suspended for the next game. 
if you already have three points, which means you've done a flagrant two and a flagrant one, and you commit just a flagrant one, you get a one-game suspension. If you have three points and you commit a flagrant two, you get suspended two games. All of which is to say that Traymond Green now has two points. Therefore, under the rules as they're currently stated, he will not be suspended until such time as he commits another flagrant two or two more flagrant ones. Why am I saying this? Because I don't care what the rules say. Draymond Green ought be suspended. If I'm Adam Silver, here is the thought process and why he's got to suspend Draymond Green for game three of the first round of the NBA playoffs. Everything that the NBA does is with knowledge and understanding and muscle memory of what happened in the malice at the palace. There's almost anything you can do on the court that would be looked at more favorably than if you do something after your on-court issue with people who are off the court. You remember what Ron Artest did and other people when they were fighting with fans in Detroit when the Pacers were playing the Pistons. Great documentary about it. I watched it live. That's when rules started to change in basketball because David Stern was very clear. Whatever we're doing on the court, we don't want to be looked at as thugs. We don't want to ever put fan safety in jeopardy. We need people coming to games. We need our broadcasters to keep doubling and tripling our national broadcast revenue because we want these teams to be worth billions of dollars. What David Stern did after that point has worked. The value of teams has gone up. The league revenue has skyrocketed. Anything that happens that is in any way a reminder is going to be looked at a lot more carefully. When Adam Silver looks at this tape, and I believe Coca, and I have no proof of this, I believe he may have been at the game, but it doesn't matter, he gets full tape, and there were league representatives who go to every game, like an MLB, commissioner's office representatives are at every single playoff game. They get assigned series, multiple people actually, you have to be there. You have to see what is going on. You then report back to the commissioner anything that would require some sort of action by the commissioner's office. When Adam Silver gets reported to him what happened, if he didn't see it with his own two eyes, what will be reported is that we came this close, like you can't shine a flashlight through it, this close to having player-fan physical interaction. That's like the third rail for the NBA. I believe that Adam Silver will look at that. He will keep in mind what Draymond Green has been like, and he is a leader, make no mistake. Great podcast, great leader, but he clearly has a view that he is happier on the road saying it's you and me against the world to his teammates. Look what he did in this video. If you're watching Nothing Personal with David Sampson, he is taunting the fans. His actions as he was getting ejected and turn that camera around if possible and it would show you what the fans were doing to him and they were coming toward each other. And then the situation got calmed and Draymond left the court. 
Adam Silver will have to say no more. One game suspension for actions upon his ejection. A little different than what happened with Russell Westbrook. You remember the Clippers player who just the other day got into a verbal altercation with a fan heading to the court. There's great video of that one. Westbrook will not be suspended for that. Westbrook merely was upset and swore toward a fan, different than Anthony Rendon, who got sworn to and then physically touched a fan and got suspended four games. All leagues are the same after Malice in the Palace. Do not touch a fan. The reason Draymond Green has a situation, we're, we're showing the video now where Westbrook gets into it with a fan, and basically he is swearing at him, come at me, I'll come at you, let's go. Let's do a takedown, breakdown. They're not going to suspend Westbrook for that. They're just going to fine him. So what commissioners have to do is decide when you fine, when you suspend, and it's based on what could have happened. The Draymond Green situation in front of a screaming fan base of 19,000 people had a chance to get out of hand way more than an under-the-tunnel situation that Westbrook had. So they're going to have to act quickly on this. There's an off day now. There may be two off days. I can't remember the schedule when there's a game three between the Kings and the Warriors. But Adam Silver wakes up this morning. He's going to sleep on it, wake up this morning, and there will be a decision come today because the Warriors have to prepare and the Kings have to prepare. Don't forget that Draymond is the same player who only seven years ago in 2016 do you remember when he uh, when he kicked LeBron in the in the privates and they suspended him? That technical foul that he got that game, part of this rule, it was upgraded to a flagrant after the fact. And once upgraded, he had too many points of flagrance and it was an automatic suspension. When the league upgraded at that point, the technical to the flagrant, they knew what the ramification was Welcome back to Nothing Personal. How you doing? I am sweating completely, having run all around looking at wires on my hands and knees, trying to figure out what happened, wondering when we're going into Metal Arc Studios in New York, which will be soon, we hope. Me trying to figure out anything IT related. Here's how I know how to do it. Call for help. That's it. I can't troubleshoot anything. I can barely change batteries in my remote. It has nothing to do with intelligence. It has to do with knowledge, understanding, and it's just brutal. We were talking about Draymond Green when we stopped and when the world stopped. The TV's all broke. Nothing worked. God, are we reliant on internet. That sort of scares me, as a matter of fact. Disc being disconnected. So we were, I was telling you that when the NBA upgraded Draymond back in the finals with LeBron from a technical to a flagrant, they knew that was going to come with a suspension. When they wake up this morning, they know that they can't upgrade the flagrant two. It's a flagrant two. It was what it was, but they can still suspend him. And I think they're going to wait to see is when I tell you something's going to happen. If it does great, if not, I promise we revisit it. And I'm going to go on record right now. Draymond Green is going to be suspended for one game. That is the right decision to make, and I think the NBA will make that decision. We'll see. When players come back from suspensions, it is always tricky. 
a one-game suspension, no problem. It's like a rest day. It doesn't change anything about the team, anything about the, you know the locker room dynamics. A four-game suspension like Rendon had, you serve it. It's like being away for a few days on paternity leave, let's say. You come back, you're in the lineup, all's good. When you're suspended for 80 games, it's a whole different ballgame. Fernando Tatis of the San Diego Padres is finishing up his 80-game suspension. He is back with the Padres, and he will be eligible to play on Thursday of this week. Remember, he tested positive for that steroid. He didn't do the steroid. He did do the steroid. Who knows if he did the steroid? Either way, the positive test resulted in the 80-game suspension. The Padres have continued on without him. They brought in Juan Soto. They went through a postseason without Tatis. They have raised the payroll to be the second highest payroll in all of baseball. And now only a few weeks into the season, when they sit in third place under 500, they get Tatis back. You've seen articles about how ready he is. He's tearing it up in AAA, hitting multiple home runs per game as though that means a thing. If you are Fernando Tatis and you're being paid 300 plus million dollars, if you don't tear it up in AAA, that's the story, not that you do. So they bring Tatis back. Will he play shortstop? Is he going to start playing in the outfield? There's DH. He could DH for a bit, but they've got Cruz, so he's not going to DH. I'm not as interested, actually, in where he plays. I'm interested in how he plays. Remember, he has not played since the last day of 2021. And so the question is, is he recovered from his shoulder injury? He got surgery on that. I always positioned with baseball. Side note, Coke, a different story. When the penalties came out for steroids, and it's strike one, strike two, strike three, you're out, 80 games, 160 games for the second positive. I'm talking to you, Robinson Cano. And then lifetime ban if you get popped a third time. I said to people in the commissioner's office, I don't understand why when someone is on suspension that they are allowed to do a pit stop. It's like doing a pit stop when the safety car is out. It feels like it's cheating. Although you get back in line and you, in theory, you can keep your position or not lose your position. But if you can rehab an injury or get surgery on an injury that otherwise you would not have been able to have surgery on and do all the rehab and be ready to go when your 80 game suspension is done, have you really been suspended for 80 games? Or have you just missed 80 games because of an injury that would have required you to miss 80 games? I wanted there to be a system where if you know a shoulder surgery is an eight-week recovery, that those eight weeks gets told, T-O-L-L, not T-O-L-D, and that the 80-game suspension is 80 games where the player could play. It's like suspending a pitcher who's on the IL for Tommy John. What's sort of the use of that? So I had this happening, and when it happened to me, uh, you know that D. Gordon was a player of ours who was suspended for 80 games. And he wasn't injured. He was ready to go when the 80 games were over. And we had a meeting with him about what re-entry into the team was going to look like. When he was going to play, what he was going to say. We had him prepared to speak to the media. We had him prepared to speak to the team. And we had him prepared to speak to each player individually and the front office and the fans through the media. 
Fernando Tatis is going to have to say more than he said. And he said a couple things already. He's excited to play. He wants to be part of the team again. He understands his mistakes. He said that, I know I've got to rebuild the trust. That's all fine and good. But once you're back in uniform and back in the lineup, you've got to put him in front of the scrum, in front of the media. And his message should be not just to his teammates, but to all the minor league players in the Padres and all other players around who get banged after signing a long-term deal or who think it makes sense to take steroids before they get the long-term deal in order to get the long-term deal. I want him saying, I made a mistake. There is no reason in the world that I should have done what I did. I take full ownership of it. I hurt my team, I hurt the fans, I hurt my front office, and more above that, I let myself down. I'm committing the rest of my career to making sure that the narrative of my career is not what just happened, but what will happen. I'm ready to be in the lineup and I'm ready to help this team and help this city win a World Series. That's what I want you to do publicly. Privately to the players, to your teammates, there is a great sense when one of your best players tests positive, the players feel let down, they feel angry, they feel upset, they feel like they were lied to. You've got to go up to each teammate and you privately, individually say, hey, my bad. I was an idiot, a young, stupid, and full of a desire to feel better so I could help you. It's never going to happen again. I'm going to work hard off the field. I'm going to work hard on the field. Let's go get them, guys. That type of re-entry is critical because you don't want to screw up with a great clubhouse with a great team that has great potential. You don't want Tatis, even with his unbelievable talent, to do anything to upset what has become, anyway, a fragile apple cart. They had built something so good. They were so excited. They won the offseason again. Everything's great. But then they start off 8-10 and 10 in their first 18 games. They've got a problem with Juan Soto. And so Tatis has to carefully re-inject himself into the formula that makes up a clubhouse. As a front office guy, president of the Padres, I'm making sure Tatis comes back, but my focus with the owner and with the GM is much more so on Juan Soto. And the reason is it, it is, is that I can't do anything about Tatis. He's already signed. Either it's gonna work or it's not gonna work, but he's signed. We have a huge decision coming about Juan Soto. People are talking about Juan Soto making $500 million, making just under what Otani is going to make, blowing past Trout, blowing past Judge. Let me give you a couple numbers here for Juan Soto that may make you nervous. He's batting 218 in the 70 games that he's played with the Padres. He's hitting about 160 so far this season. He's still walking, getting on base. But do you know in the last 171 games, he's hitting 234? And this is a guy who's a 300 hitter. He does have 30 home runs and 69 ribbies, OPS of 841. Something happened to his average. This year, he has been complaining vociferously about the pitch clock. 
saying that it doesn't give him a chance to play the mind games with the pitcher that he likes to play. It doesn't give him a chance to do the hip waving, watching a ball go in. Go watch Soto last year. He would watch a ball all the way into the catcher's glove. He'd move his hips like he was doing a dance, and then he'd get back in, violating the pitch clock if it had been in existence practically every time. Now he feels rushed, and he's trying to come up with a reason in his platform year, free agent year, why he's not performing the way he ought to be performing. If you are the Padres and you had a choice to spend $50 million, are you offering it to Otani or are you offering it to Soto? It's clear as day to me, you're offering it to Otani. I'm not saying that Soto is not one of the best players in baseball. What I am saying is that when you've got a number of years that are MVP caliber and then a number of years that aren't, there is a risk that the aren'ts will become the rule and the R's will become the exception. Just take a look at my friend, Christian Yelich. Yelly, you know what I'm about to say. And it's not, you are the player who we thought you'd be. And I couldn't be more proud of the long-term deal that you signed with the Brewers, the deal that we signed with you that turned out to be under market, the fact that you were MVP and then runner-up MVP, you were hitting 327. The Brewers gave you that huge deal. Remember the seven-year deal? Well, since that time, you have hit 249. Your OPS is down to 733 in 287 games. The previous 277 games, you were hitting 327 with an OPS over a thousand. Christian Yelich has five years left on a deal. Five years, 26 million a year. And the Brewers deferred a bunch of it. So Yelly's gonna get a check, Bobby Bonilla style, of $2.3 million starting in 2031 every year until 2042. The Brewers right now are trying to figure out whether the current Yelich is Yelich and that the old Yelich will never come back. Because if the old Yelich never comes back, that contract becomes an albatross, an untradeable albatross for the Brewers. What front offices do is they try to figure out better and faster than other front offices, ignoring the media and the fans, whether or not what was will be again or what is is what is for now and forever. It is way harder than you think. You don't give up on a player who you've signed, but would you sign Yelich today for that deal? I ask you, would you right now give Yelich 26 million a year for seven years starting today, given what his last two years have been? The answer is no. That same mindset has to go into Soto's signing. If you're the Padres, do you offer Juan Soto a contract based on what he was when all you've seen is bad Soto. He is still a monster to have in the lineup. He brings fear into pitchers' eyes. Opponents are workshopping what to do with him, how to pitch him, how to get him out. However, as time passes and performance decreases, that time spent worrying about that player, it actually decreases. 
You don't sign a huge free agent deal to someone whose attention given by other teams is decreasing. You do it to someone whose attention is increasing. So it will be fascinating to me to see what happens with Juan Soto. It'll be fascinating to watch these Padres. You're looking at an American League West, uh, National League West that's totally upside down. You've got Arizona in first place at 10 and seven, and they're the only team above 500. I think it will not end that way. You will see the Dodgers winning that division. You will see the Padres qualifying for the playoffs, but it has been a tough go for teams in the NL West and front offices are spending time figuring out what to do next. All right. Do you want to go to a break, Coca, or did we have a break? How does that work? I don't know. You tell me. If you go to break, it means you want a break. I can't hear you. Did I? Oh, my God. Are we dark again? The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. 4869 break. We're back. Thank you for making it through this day. This has been something. I've got a tiny pool of sweat going right now in the bottom of my back. And I've got it right in my knees where my knees are sort of bent. Does that ever happen to you when you're sitting for too long and you're nervous? All right. I watched Unstable, which is actually a, this is perfect. <laughs> I'm unstable. My internet connection is unstable. This show has been unstable. Unstable is a new series created by John Owen Lowe, who is Rob Lowe's son. Rob Lowe stars as a eccentric executive who is trying to be handled by people as he is answering to a board of directors because ever since a family tragedy, he has not been able to properly work or earn the money that he's being paid or keep his company going in the direction it's supposed to go. I had never heard of John Owen Lowe, didn't know what he did. Guess what? He's talented. What a great writer. The show in season one is, I don't know, seven, maybe eight episodes. And each episode right now is available. And the reason I'm gonna ask you to watch it is because I have, is that not because, I have always said that there is no correlation between beauty and skill. Some people think there's an inverse correlation. Oh my God, that person is so hot. That guy is so handsome. They can't be smart. They can't be good. It's gotta be looks only. Rob Lowe, since St. Elmo's Fire, since Varsity Blues, since Class, all the way up to now, West Wing, he's talented. And it turns out his son is too. 
I laughed at Unstable. The characters are caricatures. Rob Lowe plays a character and it's over the top, but it is not a waste of your time. It's incredibly bingy, so do it. Unstable, it's how I feel now. Do you know who's not unstable? I mean, seriously, Coco, my back is so wet right now. Can you see it on the air? I'm just trying, I gotta wipe my brow a little bit, wipe my mustache. Oy vey, did the air go off or something? Okay, do you know who's not unstable? Jalen Hurts. Transition alert, transition alert. Jalen Hurts is a quarterback for the Alabama Crimson Tide. I believe he's the quarterback who in the national title game was benched for Tua. I now believe that he plays for the Philadelphia Eagles. And I now believe that he signed what is being called the largest contract in the history of the NFL. To which I say, no, it's not. I don't understand where people are getting that. When I tell you now that Jalen Hurts just signed the largest contract in the history of the NFL, what are you saying? You're saying that it must be he signed for more than Deshaun Watson. We've been talking for months about the Deshaun Watson ceiling, the collusion in play to make sure that nobody gets more than Deshaun Watson. Did it just happen? Did Jeffrey Lurie and his excitement of getting rid of Danny Snyder say, my God, we've got a real chance now, even though it should be the opposite. If you're in the NFC East, you want Danny Snyder because the team sucks so badly. A new owner's gonna come in and in theory, do it better. But yet, maybe Jeffrey Lurie, the owner of the NL, um, uh, NFC East Philadelphia Eagles said, we've got ourselves a quarterback here. He's the best of all time. Bring him above Watson. But no, that's not what happened. He signed for 255 million, but only 179 million of it is guaranteed. Now I grant you that is a very high guarantee. Deshaun Watson signed for a $230 million guarantee. Doesn't that mean that Watson is paid more than Hertz? Because you don't get to say that you get to count all money that you could make because then Patrick Mahomes would have the largest contract in the NFL even though Mahomes' guarantee was only 141, but he has a chance to make up to like $7 billion if he's the MVP of everything every year. So don't you assume he'll do that and then he's the biggest contract? I just find it all to be very bizarre the way the media tries to say certain things. So here's my plan. My plan is to say that until someone gets a $230.1 million guarantee, Deshaun Watson has the biggest contract in the history of the NFL, period. If you are the agent for Joe Burrow right now, or Justin Herbert, those guys are about to get paid. They've got two years left on their rookie deals. Where are they gonna fit? If you're Lamar Jackson, you call up your agent by looking in the mirror and you say, hey, I'm better than Hertz. Does that mean I wanna get more than 255 or does it mean I wanna get more than 179? I'll tell you right now that the Baltimore Ravens would sign Lamar Jackson right now to a long-term deal with a guarantee of 180 and an upside up to 256. They will put Lamar Jackson above Jalen Hurts. They will not get Lamar Jackson to Deshaun Watson. Nothing has changed because of this Jalen Hurts contract other than Jalen Hurts' bank account, but nothing else. Joe Burrow 
will get more than Jalen Hurts. Justin Herbert will get less than Jalen Hurts. Lamar Jackson will get more than Jalen Hurts. It's all happening the way it's supposed to happen. So it's a big nothing burger. I just don't really understand why people went crazy. I'm gonna do, uh, can we do a second wait to see here? That Jackson is going to sign a long-term deal and that it's by July 15th and that he's gonna get more than Jalen Hurts. We have so many wait to sees about Lamar Jackson, but see if that doesn't, you know what's fun after 797 episodes? We have a, uh, a uh, what's the word? A document that Coca runs that has every pick of the day and every wait to see and every word of the day. And so we can look and try not to repeat words of the day and we can check on all wait to sees because I like doing that. My favorite thing is when I have a wait to see that the Phoenix Suns, and I'm making this up, but this is an example of it. The Phoenix Suns, oh, Zion Williamson was an exact example. When Zion Williamson was uh, playing well this year with the Pelicans, I said, wait to see he's gonna finish in the top three in MVP. Then when he got hurt, I had a wait to see that said, Zion Williamson's not gonna play again this season. Well, if he's not gonna play again this season, which he didn't, we got that right, then there's no way to get right the fact that he's gonna be top three in the MVP, which he's not, so I got that wrong. So either way, I'm a winner and a loser. So I've got a bunch with Lamar Jackson, but add this one to it, please, if you don't mind, that Lamar Jackson, wait to see, will sign above Hertz. Okay, nothing personal pick of the day. We kicked some ass yesterday. We had Zach Wheeler crushing Lance Lynn and the Phillies crushed the White Sox. So we took the win on that. For whatever reason, they're replaying the game. I don't know why. Wheeler and Lynn are pitching again at 4.10 p.m. today. I, I've never been able to have a pitcher recover that well and pitch back-to-back -back as a starter, but Wheeler is pitching again. Lynn is pitching again. So we're going to take the Phillies again over the White Sox. For those of you not paying attention, do I even have to say it? Is it funny if you explain the joke? The game got rained out. Phillies doubleheader were taking Wheeler again. They were supposed to pitch yesterday. He didn't. Wheeler over Lynn, game one of the doubleheader. NBA playoffs tonight. The Knicks go for the mini road sweep in Cleveland, and the Knicks will not get it. Cavaliers five over the Knicks. The mentality on the road, even as a five seed, as any seed, get one. The Knicks got one. It's always good to get greedy when you get one. Don't get me wrong. Greed is good, as Gordon Gecko would say. Greed is good. I mean, we're not talking about anything other than winning the second game on the road. It'd be amazing to go back to the Garden. God, the Garden's alive and well. It reminds me of 1994. The Rangers are in the playoffs. The Knicks are in the playoffs. The Rangers are playing the Devils. The Knicks are playing Donovan Mitchell and the Cavs. Garden is full of workers cleaning up, switching over from ice to hardwood, back to ice. I love it. Cavs five over the Knicks. It's going to happen. So those are our two picks. We're 54 and 55. Phillies over the White Sox, Cavs over the Knicks. I saw something yesterday that made me jealous. I don't get jealous very often. It's not that I have everything I want. It's I have everything I need and I'm good doesn't mean we're not going to work hard and keep doing shows because we want more listeners to subscribe to the show because yeah, of course we do. We want to be the number one podcast. 
We want to make the most money possible so we can keep doing good things for ourselves and others. That's true. But I think back to running the Marlins and over those 16 years in Miami and two years in Montreal and all the attendance issues we had and all the lot losing and winning and get a World Series and lose 100 games and make unpopular decisions and get your kids yelled at at school, et cetera. One time, it would have been so amazing if the people of Miami decided to do a reverse boycott and fill the stadium. How cool would that have been? I'm talking about what's going on in Oakland right now. It deserves being discussed. The Oakland A's have been negotiating with Las Vegas and with Oakland simultaneously for years. The Oakland Stadium situation is horrific. All they get is bad press. It's worse than FedEx Field. The most recent bad press is that the visiting TV guys can't be in the visiting TV booth because there's a live animal in there that they can't get out. And so they have to broadcast from a different place. You had Ron Darling and Gary Cohn the other day looking around for, I think it's some sort of vermin or varmin, vermin. Is there a word sometimes that you don't know if it's an E or an A? Coke, is it vermin or varmin? The, the big possum thing? Anyway, so the Oakland A's, a possum, I know, but is an a possum a vermin or a varmin? And where else did we talk about opossums? No, that documentary that we did with the guy who went to the uh, jungle, he wasn't raising his own opossum. He was raising some sort of cat himself, like a jaguar or a tiger of something. It was called like an, an opiandotum. I don't know. Anyway, an opossum is a marsupial. I don't know why you know that, Coca. It's so funny having someone in your ear giving you lessons on animals while you're doing a show. All right. Anyway, there's stuff going on in the Oakland Alameda Coliseum. It's a disaster. The stadium stinks. We used to hate going there, though we loved staying in San Francisco. But we just didn't enjoy. The visiting clubhouse is terrible. The surroundings are terrible. It's, it's gross. It really is gross. They need a new stadium. They're going to get a new stadium. Will it be Vegas? Will it be Oakland? We don't know. But fans are angry with the owner, John Fisher, because A, they think he's a billionaire, and B, they don't understand why the Oakland A's have such a low payroll. I would like to remind everybody that the Oakland A's made the playoffs every year from 2018 to 2020. They then did a rebuild. That's what you have to do when you're not the Yankees or the Dodgers. You have a window with teams, and when the window's closed, you know the window's closed and you start a new window. What the A's are doing makes perfect sense from a baseball standpoint. How come no one complained when the Cubs did it? How come no one complained when the Astros did it? Many of you did, which is why Edwin Jackson was signed by the Cubs. What a waste. I love you, Edwin, you know that, but that contract was insane because the owner got nervous because all of you were getting upset. Either you trust a process, you believe in a front office, or you don't. The Oakland A's front office has proven to be in the top five every year for the past 25 years hard stop. Top five. They know what they're doing and they get no benefit of your doubt. There's an entire fan group in Oakland and they are organizing a reverse boycott on June 13th where they're asking fans to sell out the stadium to show that they're committed to the A's but the owner is not committed to them. Really? Do you think that John Fisher is going to change his philosophy 
or that the front office, Billy Bean, who's not even involved day to day anymore, David Forrest, that they're gonna say, you know what? We're not doing right by our fans. We're gonna raise our payroll and we're gonna sign a bunch of mid-level players and we're gonna extend our window of mediocrity. No, is that what you really want? John Fisher's negotiating to get a new ballpark in Oakland because he wants to stay in Oakland. Of course he needs public money and infrastructure to get it done. Of course he needs zoning changes. Of course he needs retail, commercial, and all the other revenue sources around in order to compete with the other teams with whom he's competing with. This is all standard operating procedure, normal with a capital N. But if you can get a sellout and increase your attendance and revenue, I'm actually gonna increase ticket prices for that day. I'm gonna make it dynamic. I don't need you boycotting by coming to a game and you thinking that's gonna somehow teach me a lesson as an owner of a team. I want you to appreciate what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. The A's could do a better job of PR. FYI, many people could do a better job of PR and that's a lot of what we do here at Nothing Personal. But at the end of the day, when do you start trusting your team? And when do you start believing that they know more than you do? That playing fantasy or gambling or talking at your local bar does not mean that you've got the skill set that the Oakland A's front office has. And John Fisher is no different than any other owner of that team would be at this moment in the cycle of the Oakland A's, both on the field and off the field. The A's are having a bad year. They're going to lose 100 games. Are we good? Are we done? Can we please be done? There's so many cities where fan bases complain, they hate Bob Nutting in Pittsburgh, they wanna get rid of him. They hated the Wilpons, they wanted to get rid of him in New York. They hated the Red Sox owners, John Henry and Tom Warner because of last place finishes. They want Chaim Bloom fired notwithstanding the four rings they already have. I really don't understand the purpose. So I have a request. If you have a front office where your owner spends a ton of money and your team still loses, isn't that where you should be focusing your issues on? As opposed to a front office who puts together contending teams, who maximizes windows of opportunity, who tries to win when it's time to win, aren't those the people who get the break? I just want you to at least think about it. I appreciate you making it through today because I've got right now a pain right here, Coca. Seriously, my, I'm soaked through my shirt. I'm sorry about the internet. I'm sorry that I'm the worst IT guy ever. Cannot, Metalark, Lebitard, get the studio open in New York. Let's go. It's just business. We'll be back tomorrow, I hope. This is nothing personal.